Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers is a Christian apologetics ministry led by Dr. Pat Zucran. Pat provides compelling messages from top apologetic scholars defending the Christian worldview and provides valuable resources for every person seeking answers to life's questions, as well as addressing key issues of our time. Serving to equip Christians who want to effectively engage their world for Christ is our focus. The Old Testament claims to record actual historical events from the creation of the world to the creation and history of the nation of Israel. Is there historical evidence that confirms the accounts recorded in the Old Testament? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on our show, Pat will be sharing from his weekly YouTube show, Question of the Week, where he shares some significant archaeological discoveries of the Old Testament. Aloha. And welcome to another episode of Question of the Week, a show brought to you by Evidence and Answers and our partners, the Honolulu Christian Church. And each week we try to address one of the challenging questions that seekers and skeptics ask about Christianity. And we've been doing a series on the Bible. The question was, how do you know that the Bible is the unique, one and only, divinely inspired Word of God? Jesus claimed to be the unique, one and only, divine Son of God, and he confirmed his claim as we studied in the past shows through his miraculous, sinless life, death, and resurrection. And now we come to the Word of God, the Bible. The Bible also claims to be the unique, one and only, divinely inspired Word of God. So we studied about the Son of God, now we've been studying about the Word of God. And of all the books that claim to be divinely inspired, the Bible is the only one with unique, miraculous confirmation. We talked about several lines of evidence. Jesus, the divine Son of God, he affirms the authority of the Old and New Testament. We talked about the indestructibility of the Bible. We talked about the unity of the Bible, despite its many diverse authors written over a 1,500-year period. Despite the great diversity, there's incredible unity. We talked about the legacy of prophecy, hundreds of prophecies made in the Bible that have come to pass, many in a remarkable way. The next one we come to here is archaeology, the testimony of archaeology. Archaeology demonstrates that the Bible is historically accurate. And if you have a work of historical integrity, then you have reason, a good reason, to trust its testimony, the contents of what it talks about. Even on things we have not yet historically confirmed, if the Bible has numerous discoveries that uphold its integrity, then this is a work you can trust. It's like a case in court, all right? You may not have witnessed the event in trial, the particular crime that occurred, all right? Let's just say a guy robbed a bank. You may not have witnessed that crime. There may be no video of that crime. There may be the testimony of just one or two witnesses, all right? Well, how do you know that you can trust those witnesses? Well, they get cross-examined. And if their testimony is affirmed to be true, even on detailed facts, you know, the color of the car, where was the car, what time did this crime occur? And if they continue to be accurate again and again and again, then they have 
what would be called reliable testimony. Their testimony is admitted and can be used in court. And archaeology shows us that the Bible has very reliable testimony. It is historically accurate. Even in many of its details, it's remarkably accurate. There's no book like it that has so much archaeological confirmation. It's actually miraculous how much confirmation there is for people, places, and events of the Bible that therefore archaeology testifies the Bible can be trusted. Here's what some of the top archaeologists have said. Dr. William Albright, the foremost Middle Eastern archaeologist, the father of Middle Eastern archaeology, said this in his book. He said, there can be no doubt that archaeology has confirmed the substantial historicity of the Bible. Another very prominent Near Eastern archaeologist was Nelson Gluick, a Jewish archaeologist, and he stated, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or exact detail historical statements in the Bible. In fact, contemporary archaeologist Dr. Randall Price states in his book, The Stones Cry Out, that there are over a hundred thousand discoveries that confirm biblical places, events, and sites of the Bible. That is absolutely remarkable. No other book has such archaeological confirmation as the Bible. And that only represents about 10% of what's out there. 90% has yet to be discovered. And already, as Dr. Randall Price says, there are over 100,000 discoveries that confirm facts of the Bible. So imagine, as we continue to dig there in the Near East, discovery after discovery continues to confirm the historical accuracy of the Bible. We're making discoveries. It seems to be every week there's some great discovery coming up, a coin that is discovered, a manuscript, an inscription, something that affirms the historical reliability of the Bible. Let's just take a look at a few. I mean, we could stay here all day. This is a particular field that I study. I do my doctoral research in this whole area of Near Eastern archaeology. And I can tell you, we could stay here for days talking about the incredible discoveries made that confirm the historical reliability of the Bible. Let's take a look at just a few here. First, one of the most exciting discoveries was the Ebla Tablets. Now, the Kingdom of Ebla is an ancient civilization which was located in the present-day Syria. And we didn't know this kingdom existed until it was discovered in the early 70s. And as we discovered this civilization, we discovered great libraries in their cities and over 15,000 tablets and significant fragments have been found at this site of Ebla. These writings date as far back as 2300 BC. And these tablets provided information of language, of customs, of culture and geography of the period of Genesis, of the patriarchal period, the time of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, provided information about that time which was valuable. And it showed that what the Bible presented was indeed accurate to that period. One of the great criticisms that critics attacked the historical authenticity of the Bible about is that many of the words that were used in Genesis, they said, were developed much later, around the 7th century BC. 
And so therefore, Moses could not have written the first five books of the Old Testament. It was probably written about 700 years later, perhaps in the 7th or 6th century BC. Well, the Ibla tablets revealed that the Genesis accounts of the patriarchs accurately reflected the words, names, customs, and locations that were being used in that period. The tablets contain names found in Genesis, such as Adam, Ishmael, and Israel. Locations such as the cities of Megiddo, Hatzor, Gaza, Shechem, and Jerusalem were mentioned in the Ebla tablets as well. Deities such as Dagon, El, Baal, Molech, Yah, which are mentioned in the Old Testament, were mentioned there in the Ebla tablets. And also, one of the criticisms that critics attacked the Exodus account of, they stated Moses could not have written the first five books of the Old Testament and Exodus could not have occurred in about 1400 BC because there was no phonetic alphabet system right there at that time. It was all cuneiform, so there's no way that Moses could have written the first five books of the Old Testament. Well, the Ebla tablets showed us that a phonetic alphabet and writing existed hundreds of years before Moses. So the idea that Moses could not have possibly written the first five books of the Old Testament was then just thrown out the window. Moses could have written the Pentateuch. It's very likely. And also the Ebla tablets contain the oldest creation account which had some similarity to the Genesis creation account. It talked about one God who created the world out of nothing. And it showed that monotheism was very ancient, perhaps even before polytheism. So the discovery of the Ibla tablets was very exciting and another confirmation of the Old Testament, specifically the first five books of the Old Testament. Another exciting discovery is the discovery of the Hittite civilization. Now the Hittites, they're located in present-day Turkey and they appear in Genesis 15 as early as Genesis 15 and 1st Kings chapter 10 we read of the Hittite Empire great warrior empire with great army well little over a century ago the existence of the Hittites were doubted as some kind of legendary people because really the only record of them was in the Old Testament however in the late 19th century I believe about 1876 the discovery led to further digs resulting in a finding of several temples and a fortified citadel and a library was discovered with sculptures and tablets and as they continued to dig at this site called Boghazkoi, archaeologists finally discovered when they were able to decipher the writings on these tablets they discovered that they were digging at Hattusas the very capital of the Hittite nation and the Hittites were found. This was considered one of the most outstanding achievements there in Near Eastern archaeology. And as they continued to study and research, they discovered that the Hittite language was the early relative to the Indo-European languages. And so now in great universities like the University of Chicago, there's an entire department dedicated to Hittitology, the study of the Hittites. So they went from a doubted, perhaps legendary, mythical civilization only recorded in the Bible to now there are history and archaeology departments at universities all over the world dedicated to the study of the Hittites. You know, another great discovery is the Merneptah Stila. Now, there was a pharaoh in Egypt, Pharaoh Merneptah, who lived in the early 13th century, and he was a mighty pharaoh who came to the land of Canaan, or modern-day 
Israel or Palestine there, and he conquered the city-states and the tribes in about 1220 BC. So often Egyptians would go to Canaan and subdue the city-states and the people. And so he went and conquered the land of Canaan, and he conquered what, what he calls the Nine Bows. All right, the Nine Bows are the nine perennial enemies of Egypt, the powerful city-states there in Canaan that every great Egyptian king had to conquer. And the Merneptah Stele is a victory plaque. Okay, it's a big basalt black victory plaque. It's dated about 1210 BC, and it describes Pharaoh Merneptah's victory over the cities of Canaan. And he mentions the nine bows, and one of them, guess what? It's the nation of Israel. He says the seed of Israel is laid waste. And he talks about the people of Israel not as a city-state. He doesn't mention a capital or a land. He mentions them as a people. In other words, at this time, they are a loose tribe, a loose alliance, a confederation of tribes, which matches the state of Israel in the book of Judges. And the Merneptah Stele is the first extra-biblical historical artifact that mentions the people of Israel in the land of Canaan. So it tells you by 1220 BC, the people of Israel were already in the land of Canaan and established and one of the nine bows, one of the nine perennial enemies of Egypt. That gives further confirmation to the Exodus account. Many hold to a late date of the Exodus, maybe 1260, 1240 AD. But that's too late because Israel would have to wander in the desert as recorded in the book of Exodus for 40 years and then invade the land of Israel and then be established in the land of Israel as one of the nine bows. All right, so the Merneptah Stele is the first extra biblical reference to the nation of Israel and that they were already in the land and established by 1220 BC. That would date the Exodus at least, probably have to be at least 100 years before Pharaoh Merneptah. So if the people of Israel, according to the Bible, the Exodus occurred in about 1400 BC, all right, that would match the biblical chronology of the Bible, and then they would have entered the land of Israel about 1360 BC, all right, and that would match the chronology of the Old Testament and the Merneptah Stele. It's an incredible find confirming the existence of the people of Israel already in the land by the 1220 BC. Then you remember during the Exodus that the people of Israel were deceived by a prophet named Balaam. Well, in 1967, in the country of Jordan at a place called Tel Deir Allah, an inscription was found upon a wall and it has the title, The Book of the Afflictions of Balaam, Son of Beor. And it goes on to say, a divine seer was he. All right, this ancient inscription dates back hundreds of years, many think to the 8th or 9th century BC. And this Balaam, son of Beor, very likely is the Balaam mentioned in Numbers chapter 22 through 24, the prophet who is mentioned, who helped deceive the nation of Israel. Well, another great archaeological discovery was the discovery of Sargon II. Sargon II was considered a biblical myth throughout modern history because there was really no discovery made of him outside of the Bible until the archaeological excavations of the French scholar Paul-Emile Botta. Now Botta unearthed Sargon's palace at Korsabad, 
there in northeast Iraq, just north of the ancient city of Nineveh, near the Tigris River, he discovered Sargon's palace. And this was a remarkable discovery. There were inscriptions on the palace walls which confirm many events mentioned in the Bible. And so what we have discovered is that every reference in the Old Testament to an Assyrian king was indeed proven correct. And even though Sargon was unknown for some time when his palace was found and excavated there, in fact, there was a wall painting of the battle mentioned in Isaiah chapter 20. So Sargon was a remarkable find there. Then we have another one called Sennacherib's Prism or Taylor's Prism. Second King 19 records Sennacherib's failed invasion of Judah. In Second Kings chapter 19, the account is this, that Sennacherib comes into the land of Judah and captures many of the cities outside of Jerusalem and deports thousands of people of the nation of Israel. Then this great Assyrian king surrounds Jerusalem with thousands upon thousands of soldiers. Then the righteous king Hezekiah goes into the temple to pray and the prophet Isaiah tells him that tomorrow you'll be delivered from the nation of Assyria. And 2 Kings 19 says that night the angel of the Lord went out and killed tens of thousands of the Assyrian soldiers. So when the Assyrians woke up the next morning they saw thousands of dead bodies and they returned back to the city of Nineveh where Sennacherib was assassinated by his sons. Now many believe that this account was indeed fiction. However, in 1830 in the ruins of Nineveh we discovered an octagon prism, okay, an octagon prism known as Taylor's prism or Sennacherib's prism in which the accounts of Sennacherib is recorded and we discovered the record of his invasion of the nation of Israel and he mentions going into the land of Judah as recorded in the Bible capturing numerous cities deporting thousands of Israelites to across the Assyrian Empire as mentioned in the Bible and then when it comes to the siege of Jerusalem he talks about surrounding Jerusalem and he had that city completely surrounded and he says as to Hezekiah himself like a caged bird I shut up in Jerusalem his royal city I threw up earthworks against him the one coming out of the city I turned back to his misery okay so he mentions Hezekiah and he says I had him trapped surrounded I surrounded Jerusalem I had Hezekiah trapped like a bird in a cage okay like a caged bird but he never talks about capturing King Hezekiah or Jerusalem he departs back to Nineveh, never having conquered the city or capturing Hezekiah and taking him prisoner. As you would expect, that was the practice of the Assyrian Empire. Well, why doesn't he record that? Well, because according to the Bible, the angel of the Lord went out that night and killed thousands of his soldiers and he retreated from Jerusalem. So Sennacherib's prism, though it doesn't mention his defeat, now some people say, well, why doesn't it mention his defeat? Well, remember, kings back then don't mention their defeats. Even their defeats, when you read their annals, it sounds like they had a tremendous victory. But it seems the fact that he doesn't capture Hezekiah or Jerusalem, but suddenly returns, matches the account there in 2 Kings 19. Maybe one more we'll go through is another very exciting one, is the discovery of the Tel Dan Stele. What's that one all about? Well, critics believe that King David was a mythological figure, all right, kind of like Hercules or some kind of national hero for the, the nation of Israel, uh, but he never 
existed as a historical person, really, but he was more of a mythical figure because we have never found any reference to David outside of the Bible. Well, in 1993, at a site in northern Galilee called Tel Dan, archaeologists discovered a black basalt stele, okay, a victory plaque, with 13 lines written in Aramaic that could easily be read. And this was a victory plaque created by the king of Damascus, Hazael, in the 9th century BC when he defeated the forces of Israel as recorded in 1 Kings chapter 15. And line 9 of his victory plaque mentions that he defeated the kings of Israel of the house of David. So the full inscription reads this, I killed Jehoram, son of Ahab, king of Israel. I killed Ahaziah, son of Jehoram, king of the house of of David. So here the king of Damascus, an enemy of Israel, writing a few decades after David's death, acknowledges the existence of King David and that the kings of Judah are descendants from King David and he had established the house of David. He mentions Ahab and Jehoram and Ahaziah, who critics will well acknowledge as historical figures. And so David therefore is confirmed as a historical figure. This was considered one of the most remarkable finds confirming King David as a historical figure. Now we have uh, numerous, other, i just gone over discoveries from the Old Testament. Man, when it comes to the New Testament, the evidence just continues to mount. I think I have time for one more. Let me cover one more here. It's called the Cyrus Cylinder. The Cyrus Cylinder. This was found in 1879 in Babylon, in modern-day Iraq. And what was remarkable is this. On this particular cylinder, Cyrus declares that he was freeing the exiles to return to their homeland and take their gods with them. Now, this is important because skeptics and critics often scoffed at what was written in Ezra chapter 1. In Ezra chapter 1, it says that the Israelites were allowed to leave Persia after they conquered the Babylonians. They were allowed to leave the land of Persia and return home to the nation of Israel. And Ezra chapter 1 states that the vessels from the temple were given back to the Israelites. And he was allowed to return back home to Israel and rebuild Jerusalem. Well, skeptics scoff that any king would allow this to occur under his rule. Well, the Cyrus Cylinder confirmed that indeed what Ezra had recorded was indeed true. And the critics were wrong and the Bible proved itself to be true again. One of the things we learn as we continue to make more and more discoveries in this field of archaeology, that the Bible confirms itself to be true again and again and again often in remarkable ways. And the critics and the liberals are shown to be wrong, and the Bible proves itself to be true again and again and again. It reminds me of a story uh, I was told that in the early 60s, the French Institute of Science wrote a book called 66 Errors in the Bible. And in that book, they pointed out the alleged errors in the Bible. But after years of archaeological discovery now, all those alleged contradictions or errors have now been answered and the book no longer exists and the Bible continues to prove itself to be true again and again and again. So archaeology is another evidence for the divine inspiration of the Bible. Something written by God you would expect to be true 
and historically accurate. And indeed, that's what archaeology confirms. Well, no, we went through a lot. So if you want to read more on this, read our articles at our website at evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You can read a lot more on this. And we've done a lot more radio shows on this topic as well, podcasts that you can listen to on archaeology and the Bible. And I hope that this has aroused your thinking. If you've got more questions on these topics that we are covering, shoot me an email at pat at evidenceandanswers.org, pat at evidenceandanswers.org, and I hope we can answer your questions on a future show. So thanks for being with us, and we look forward to being with you again here on another episode of Question of the Week. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online you'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. That's honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. <laughs>